TJ Gibson is the Director of Site Operations at PayPal. In his 14 years there, TJ's worked in a number of technical roles and currently runs PayPal's Network Command Center. Welcome to Living on the Edge, the network resilience podcast from OpenGear. I'm Steve Cummins, and I talk to IT thought leaders who are living on the edge of their network. Join us as we discuss business continuity, resilience, and all things networking. So TJ, I saw in one of your LinkedIn posts that uh, you said a big part of your job is talking. So I, I guess a podcast is, is a natural outlet for you. So thanks for talking to us on the Living on the Edge podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Great. So first thing, there's, actually, there's a lot of things I think we, we can dig into. Um, site reliability engineering, I think, is is something that you're deep into, and, and I really want to get into that. But be- before we dive in, um, just give me a rundown of how the IT organization is set up at PayPal. Yeah, I mean, it's actually, uh, as anybody probably imagined, PayPal is a very large organization. But uh, my organization specifically, uh, the organization I belong to, I should say, uh, is called Site Reliability and Cloud Engineering. And it includes everything you would traditionally see in, in sort of a legacy infrastructure and operations organization, as well as some uh, platform measurement capabilities. Um, my specific organization there is sort of incident response, uh, network operations, um, site reliability, uh, monitoring and alerting and, and response. And then we also have a function called embedded SRE that really is uh, maybe the most closely thing aligned to a pure SRE role within that organization. But it's it's an organization of about 600 people today that it really has their fingers in everything. I, I think my boss likes to refer to it as the engine room of PayPal. It's where all of the, the capabilities come from that our products uh, really leverage to deliver services to our customers. Well, that's great. And a lot of us use PayPal a lot of the time. And you know, as with everything, we're never happy when it's not working. So I guess it, it's thanks to you and, and the other 600 folks in your group that, that means we're, we're never sitting there and cursing at the PayPal app. So um, so, so let's talk about this idea of, of site reliability engineering. Um, and I think you know Google are often credited with being the ones that really did a lot of the early work and, and launched the idea of it. But I'm sure it means different things in different organizations. So, so what what does SRE mean at PayPal, and you know how has that changed over the last few years? You know, I, that's that's a big question. Um, I would say that SRE at PayPal really started before SRE was really a term that we were throwing around in the industry. I, I think in a lot of ways, uh, the early days of it was almost looked down upon by a traditional technologists, right? They looked at it like a bug fixing team or like, you know, somebody that was really just coming in to clean up some messes somewhere. And as Google kind of put their thought into words and started to really define this as a niche within the industry is when we said, hey, there's so much overlap with what we're already doing. Let's look at this framework. Let's look at this way that they're defining this role and find out how do we squeeze the maximum amount of value out of it. And we've really seen it grow from that point forward. Um, again, I think it's even grown, uh, the way it's structured today has really grown beyond what traditional or, or pure SRE is. But we've really seen this um, conglomeration, I guess, or this, this uh, aggregation of the, some of the things that PayPal needed specifically, some of the things in the industry that, uh, that were really coming along in terms of technology and, and resiliency, and then bringing this framework of, of site reliability engineering as a practice and really kind of put those things together to deliver what we're delivering today. 
And really, when I think about our mission, it's not just providing these capabilities from an infrastructure or a platform perspective, but it's really ensuring that all of the products that we deliver and all of the capabilities that we expose to customers have this this reliability, this resiliency, this fault tolerance, this usability kind of baked into it from the beginning, much like I think the industry you know, 10 or 15 years ago came around to the idea of uh, information security. And really that became a niche practice and still is a niche practice, but it's much more just a core element of a lot of products and services that people are delivering today. So do you think uh, that that's one of the defining things of SRE is this, this idea that it's, it's a holistic approach. It's not looking at one piece of the operation or one location, but really looking at the whole networking ecosystem and make sure it's, it's covered sort of from, from A through Z. Yeah, you know, I think the way that we tend to, to talk about it really is from a customer perspective and, and everything that a customer would expect from our products and services operate the way that they intend it to be. I don't think that it's it's a niche in the way that we would think about security or networking or application development, but I do think that it's niche in the way that it brings uh, the, the sort of core skill sets of each of those, or at least the core awareness of each of those domains and brings it under the umbrella and, and provides this lens of resiliency and operability and scalability uh, kind of kind of to the way that these things come together. I don't know if that was helpful or if that was a, a little bit too ambiguous. No, no, that makes sense. Um, you mentioned in, an embedded SRE function, and mm-hmm. I'm curious, are you talking about that, that you have folks that are sort of out in the various operating units that are you know, reporting back into your group, or is, is that something else? No, I mean, it's, it's essentially that. They, it is uh, more of a dotted line from the SRE organization out to these various domains. I think a lot of uh, places when they implement SRE as a specific discipline will look for filling a role within an engineering team. Uh, a lot of times when you talk about an agile team, you'll have your software developers, your product manager, and so on. And I think a lot of organizations will bring that site reliability at that level. The way that PayPal has, has really approached this is more from a centralized aspect but building these dotted lines between dedicated teams who have the awareness, not just of the domain that they're embedded with, but the business that they're embedded with. So within our payments organization or within our uh, you know, identity organization and really understanding how their products and their platforms are put together and bringing that SRE discipline or that SRE mindset to help them holistically figure out how do we make this thing the best it can be? How do we make it you know, a great citizen within the application so that as those handoffs upstream and downstream are happening, that all of this reliability and operability components are, are uh, being accounted for. Got it. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So in terms of security, which you mentioned is sort of a similar um, evolution, is security interwoven with SRE or, or do you still see that as a separate entity? I don't know that I would say it's woven into SRE. I think it's become more a part of everything we do. So it, yes, it's a part of SRE, but it's not something that SRE is bringing to the table. It's something that uh, we hold ourselves accountable to. It's something that our customers and our, our business holders hold us accountable for. But really it comes down to the, the security aspect, aspect of it being interwoven to everything we do. And I think where, you know, if I could kind of project this forward in terms of SRE, I think where I see this progressing uh, in the coming years is that we start to see a lot of these core things today that we would say belong to site reliability engineering. We will see them adopted and, and integrated with the ways people work when they're developing products or when they're deploying uh, you know, new network segments or new data centers. I think it will become more just a, a sort of foundational component of how we do IT the same way that security has over time. 
I think we're in a, a little bit of a transition period here where SRE has kind of come into its own. It's become a mature role or discipline within the industry. And I think that will make, that will stay true as we go forward. But I think some of those things that SRE are bringing today will become part of core platforms and become part of uh, core workflows as opposed to always being a centralized, you know, single accountability kind of function. Yeah. And I guess even the role that you have, although I focused in on, on this part of your job, which is the SRE, I mean, you really have responsibility for, for the overall site operations, right? And SRE is a part of that. So, so I guess it emphasizes that idea that SRE is a part of everything that you do rather than being looked at as a standalone piece of the business. Sure. And, and, you know, I think in a lot of ways, uh, you know, before the actually started recording here, we talked a little bit about DevOps and SRE and, and, you know, what do these things mean? How do they play together? And when I think about my role specifically in that operations center, there's, there's definitely a push to a more federated accountability model, right? And so it, it kind of speaks to DevOps. But I don't know that like either one of these things could really exist independently. I think they're they're flavors uh, of the same kind of thing, right? It's the way that we work and the way that we provide services and capabilities to our customers and making sure that we have the right, um, the right mechanisms or the right levers in place to be able to respond when we need to, when something's broken, but also to be able to plan and design for failure and to be able to plan and design for uh, customer outcomes. Yeah. And I think in, in a, particularly in a big organization like yourselves with, with many moving parts, it makes sense that it, that it covers across it. Do you, see any drivers over the next few years that that's going to change the way that SRE is implemented or, or you think it's just a continuing evolution? You know, I certainly, I certainly think that there's always going to be changes. I think that as we see more and more large enterprises really grab a hold of this idea of public cloud and really start to move workloads. I, I think I saw recently that Capital One uh, essentially was declaring victory uh, in their cloud journey. I think that brings an entirely new perspective on sort of large scale applications uh, and site reliability engineering. But I also think, you know, going forward, there's there's things that I think we haven't quite yet accounted for. I think machine learning and artificial intelligence is going to bring aspects to our technology stacks that we just don't have an idea of what that means to be resilient and what that means to be uh, operable and you know how, how it is that we use that, that sort of technology most effectively. I think SRE has a role to play there as well. I think when we look at uh, some of the things that SRE is bringing to the table today in terms of frameworks and structure and, and uh, accountability, I think a lot of that we will start to see baked into our applications. I think they'll become more natural for people as we're going forward. And so that's going to, I think, create an opportunity for SRE to, again, maybe step up and up-level their viewpoints, similar to maybe how information security uh, practitioners have been able to up-level and make a tighter connection to the policy or the regulatory obligations. I think SREs will be able to continue to look for those opportunities to step up and, and, and bring sort of business uh, aspects further down into the stack. And I know that's, that's a little bit fluffy. So, you know, I'm happy to kind of call out some context there if we need to. Hey, I think when you're, when you're talking about trends for the future, if, if you're not being fluffy, then you're fooling yourself, right? Cause, cause Fair who enough. knows what's coming up, but yeah, I think some of the trends you talk about, you know, machine learning and AI, we all know it's going to have a big impact. I think it's just that question mark of how quickly and, and in what ways, but it, it's a fair point. SRE is, is going to have to adapt as, as everything else is, is along with that. Uh, of course. So just, just shifting gears a little bit. So I'm always curious about career paths and how people, you know, get, get to where they get to where they are. So 
I know you started out in the Air Force. You, you worked in a couple of networking roles in, in some, uh, some other companies. And now you've been at, at PayPal for, for a number of years. And uh, you've talked to a lot of technologists in that time, uh, as you mentioned to me. And, and you have this idea of how there's three phases in a technical career. So maybe you could just <laughs> sort of you know, talk through that a little bit. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I wouldn't say that it's really uh, just limited to the technology career field, but that's obviously where my my experience is. And the way I try to talk to my folks about it is, you know, I think early on in your career, the value that the business perceives from you as an individual, from you as a technologist, really boils down to how much you know. Like, what do you know? And I think the deeper you know a particular technology or, or domain area, the more technology or domain areas you know, the more your value is to the organization. I think you, you hit a point probably somewhere in that five to 10 year uh, point in your career. And it's obviously very different for everybody, but at some point, you know, if you could call it a journeyman, I, I think you hit a place where it becomes about who, you know, uh, you just, it's not possible to know the depth that you have to, it's not possible to have the breadth that you need in order to deliver the, the outcomes you're being asked to deliver. And so the way that you provide value to the organization becomes much more about how do you bring people together? How do you find the right answers and the right resources within the organization? And I think for the most part, technologists do this pretty well. I think it makes sense. I think it's a pretty natural evolution. I think where a lot of people tend to get tripped up is in that kind of third step, and it becomes more about who knows you. And yeah, there's an element of politics there. Every place, you know, no matter how apolitical they claim to be, there's always politics. But I don't think that's the core of it. I think it's really about demonstrating value. And so one of the, a couple of the things I try to tell my people are, you know, what is it that keeps your boss up at night? Those are the things that you should be looking for solutions for. Those are the things that should also be keeping you up at night. You need to be looking for how do you bring your talents, your experience, your responsibilities to bear on that problem statement to help solve it. And I think that's where a lot of people tend to struggle with like wrapping their heads around it. It's not that it's incredibly difficult to do, but it's certainly a mind shift. And so when I say who knows you, it's about who sees you as the problem solver, who sees you as the one that's going to bring your experiences and skill sets to bear on my problem and understand the context quickly, get to relevance quickly and be able to help me find solutions that technology will solve uh, for my particular business problem. And of course, we're doing all of these things throughout our career. But when I think where I see people really kind of get stuck in a rut, uh, you know, that 10, 12, 15 year mark in their career is because they're struggling. Maybe I shouldn't say they're struggling where they really uh, start to have challenges is they start when they start to get uncomfortable, when they start to have uh, problems solving uh, business problems or, or connecting with their peers or their stakeholders they tend to fall back on the things that have worked for them in the past. And so they might go out and say, you know, I've been in the career for 10 years or 15 years and you know, the technology has moved so fast. And I've been thinking at this higher level, my problem is I need to go learn the latest and greatest. I need to go dive in deeper into, you know, whatever uh, technology stack is in front of me. And that is always valuable, but that's not the only answer. I think what the business is looking for people uh, technologists specifically as they reach that, that higher level in their career is more of a connection back to, to how technology solves those business problems, where very early in your career, it's very much about how to implement a particular solution that's been given to you or that uh, has been defined. Yeah, it's very true. You know, we tend to focus on the technical skills, right? But I think as you as you move up in an organization and, and you sort of broaden your influence, um, it, it really does come down to being known, knowing how to get things done. 
I mean, for me personally, this this always flags up. If you know, when I move companies, as I've done in the past, and you're in a new job, and you you realize at that point how important it was to you in your previous role because you knew everybody and you knew how to get things done, and and people knew who you were. And if you change companies or organizations, you often have to relearn that. So I think the three phrases you describe uh, make a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think the the important thing to call out is that it's not that uh, you're leaving the technology career path, right? It's not that technology becomes secondary to the value that you're order, you're bringing to the organization. It's about being able to layer on that relationship skill set, that business understanding skill set, that you know translation skill set in a lot of cases to get from you know business outcomes into technology solutions. And so it's, it's not about leaving technology behind or like ignoring it or not being hands on keyboard anymore. It's about being able to make stronger connections back to the organization, back to where your customers are and back to where the value that uh, you're delivering to them uh, is coming from. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, think that all makes sense. Um, so having just said how important it is to, uh, to look at the non-technical side of it, I, I am curious about the technical training side of things. Um, <laughs> you know, it, sure. So in terms of that sort of technical, you know, there's a number of certification paths. I guess CCIE is is sort of the most well-known one. And recently Cisco added a, a DevOps section to it or the DevNet section to it. I'm not aware of anything similar that focuses on this SRE or reliability or, or you know, even site op- operations part of it. Is there something out there that, that you know, a, a a certification path that people would follow or is that something that you think needs to be worked on? You know, there, there are some folks that are offering uh, different certification paths for SRE, but I haven't seen anything really rise to the top as, as kind of an industry standard. And I think, you know, if I look at uh, kind of how the industry is handling the learning and the training around SRE, Usenix has every year uh, a, a conference they call SRECon. And I think, you know, if you look at some of the, the, agendas or the the seminar lists uh, schedules like excuse me schedules for these uh, events these conferences you'll see the diversity there right you can have some very deep tracks on how to use machine learning to uh, bring better insights from your observability platform you can have some very deep t- tracks about you know how do we build networks for resilience and and how do we handle this massive global scale how do we deal with hybrid cloud but you'll also hear a lot of higher level things. Uh, how do we do problem management? How do we do root cause analysis? How do we actually um, understand where our customers are coming from? How do we determine business logic failures differently from you know, systemic uh, technology types of failures? So I think in a lot of ways, the industry is still trying to figure out what best of breed looks like. I think there's still a lot of definition of discovery that's happening. It's much more solid than it was in years past. But I think, again, even if you look at some of those conference schedules uh, year over year, you will see kind of the, the focusing or the narrowing down of their scope or the solidifying of the way that they're viewing that particular industry career field. So, you know, I wouldn't I think when it comes to SRE, if that was uh, you know of interest to some particular technologists, I don't know that I could point you in a particular direction. I think what I would say is breadth at this point in time, I think is extremely important. I don't think it's enough to have only an application development background or only a networking background and be able to step, you know, cleanly into an SRE career field and be successful day one. I think you really have to understand all of the the sort of constituent parts and how they play together towards the business outcome of reliability, of operability, of, you know, performance. And so I think what I would suggest is go get some breadth. 
right? And, and this is happening a lot in our, in our data centers already. We're, we're already looking at how do we build our on-prem data centers to be more abstracted, the, to have the hardware, the, the physical infrastructure more abstracted to, for the users. Uh, very similar to how you would see, you know, an application deployed in AWS. So I think, you know, if you can, if you can kind of start to, to spread out a little bit and start to look for how can I bring in some of these elements of development and some of these elements of business awareness and some of these elements of observability and response. I think if you can bring those things into your purview and into your skill set, that's where you really start to have kind of the building blocks for, for being a good site reliability engineer. And I think the questions I would be asking for, the opportunities I would be looking for internally is how to leverage all of these things together to deliver uh, reliability as a service or operability as a service or, or observability as a service kind of thing. I know that's very fluffy, but again, I think the industry is, uh, at least this particular career field, is still in a bit of uh, uh, early stages. I, actually, I think it's spot on. Um, you know, the pendulum the last couple of years seems to have swung back a little bit. It, it was, Everybody wanted to be a specialist in something, right? Wanted to be very niche and and. Sure. You know, the word guru and ninja was used far too often for people. Um, but it does seem as though the pendulum has swung back and, and there's a, an understanding of the value of a little more of a generalist approach where you can bring in parts of, of different skill sets or different backgrounds to combine them and, and get something done. So, and, and I think you know, the world of SRE is probably you know, a perfect situation where, where that makes sense. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't know if I would go so far as to say SRE is really a generalist career field, but I do think that having that generalized background, that's really the context you need to be successful in SRE. Like, it's not enough to understand how to build the most reliable, most resilient, you know, most scalable network if the application on top of it doesn't know how to, you know, consume and use that, that benefit. And so really understanding, at least at a, at a base level, how all of these things come together and where the strengths of one particular domain compensates for the weaknesses in another domain. So I think you have to have that generalist mindset, even though SRE, I think, is a very specialized skill set or a very specialized role. So maybe in a way, it's, it's kind of a mix of both of those worlds and it, it survives those uh, massive pendulum swings over time. Again, maybe the correlation back to information security. Yeah, there's there's a really interesting book called Range, and I can't remember who wrote it, but I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, uh, that talks about exactly this. And, and the point is, get a broad background first, because it'll inform on anything you do in the future, and it will also let you know which is the area that you really should focus on, whether it's something you're good at or something you have an interest in or a passion for, as opposed to specializing too soon and then realizing you can't broaden out. So um, it's... It's an interesting book. I, I think uh, might be worth digging further into into that topic. Um, so, you mentioned resilience a couple of times, and you know, at Open Gear, that that's really our focus is this idea of network resilience. So, as someone who who really spends their days, I would imagine thinking about you know the reliability of the operations. What what does the phrase network resilience mean to you? You know, I think to me, it really means that we're capable of surviving fault. And, and that's an overly simplistic answer. But really, it comes down to our ability to meet the business needs, to meet the customer expectations in a way that is efficient and effective and allows us to continue to innovate. And then there's a lot wrapped in that. 
but really to me, it, that's really kind of what it comes down to is just being able to respond and react and absorb and, and grow to what we need. I think sort of the anti-pattern there would be a very specialized, you know, I think about the olden days of mainframes and, you know, the AS400 sitting in the basement that I'm sure a lot of banks still have sitting around. You, you build this, this thing that does one thing so well that it really can't evolve and, and grow with the needs of the business or with uh, technology as it continues. So to me, it, it comes down to flexibility maybe is, is the best way that I can describe it. I think you may get the award for the shortest definition of network resilience we've had on this podcast, surviving <laughs> fault. I, I mean, it says it all. I like it. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Well, that may, like I said, maybe overly simplistic and not what you were driving at. Maybe that'll, uh, that'll get down my stock value a little bit. <laughs> no, because, you know, then, like all good interview guests, you then went into a an explanation of what you meant by those three words. So, so that that's spot on. I like that. <laughs> um, I I gotta believe in your role. You you have a hundred you know old crap stories where stuff went wrong, and um, you know it, it's it's kind of why this podcast is called Living on the Edge, right? Because everybody has those stories of of living on the edge. So, uh, do you have one that that you'd like to share with us? Yeah. And and I'll set it up a little bit. Um, I was actually putting quite a lot of thought in this. And like you said, there are many, many, many examples. Um, But when I, I had some advice uh, early on in my career when I was doing some consulting and, you know, I was very nervous about standing up in front of a boardroom full of executives and trying to tell them, uh, you know, where their vulnerabilities are. Not so much that I didn't know or didn't have the data to back up what I was saying, but I just had no idea where the questions were going to come from, what the angles or the agendas were of the people in the room. And so I I was really kind of stressing out in in this big readout that we were going to do. And one of my colleagues sat down and he said, look, consulting is like 10% technical and like 90% people. And I, the more I've, I've kind of internalized that and I've grown in my career, I feel that's pretty broadly true for technology in general. So a lot of my sort of uh uh-oh moments or my, you know, hairy uh, late nights really come down to people things. Um, kind of mixed with technology. So the, the one that comes to mind and, you know, maybe I'll get in a little bit of trouble for even sharing this story, but it was actually in the air force. Uh, I had my, my, my boss at the time had pushed a configuration file to every machine on our network, relatively small network, but very, uh, geographically distributed. So, you know, 180 nodes or so spread across you know, 40 countries that file set the same IP address on every device on the network. This is in the you know mid '90s, so a lot of our automation that we take for granted today just wasn't there; it just did not exist. And so, spending three days trying to talk you know pilots and you know people loading airplanes all over the world into how to change the, the IP address to something that matched what was we're going to work on their local network, that would to me was one of the the hairiest moments. Not just because it was so complex and so people focused to resolve but really just highlighted how fragile sometimes some of these things we take for granted really are. Uh, one simple human mistake can essentially shut this thing down for three days. And I think, you know, maybe the, the reason I bring that story out is just the irony at the end that may resonate with a lot of your people, but you know, my boss got a medal for fixing that problem. So I think, you know, that was kind of my, my funny story I wanted to bring is we made a mistake. We spent a whole lot of time trying to correct for it. And ultimately, uh, as the cause of that mistake, uh, you know, somebody was rewarded. Yeah, unfortunately, that's how life works. Isn't it? <laughs> they forget the mistake. They just uh, exactly. remember, oh, yeah, but hey, everybody bounced back. And, and, you know, let's be honest, I guess that's also what we get paid for, right? It's, it's not about mistakes happening. It's about how you react to it. But it seems a shame you didn't get the medal instead of your boss. Well, look, he was definitely involved as much as I was in uh, putting things back together. And, 
you know, I, I think in a lot of ways, uh, I've carried that with me. I think for a long time, there was a little bit of bitterness, like, darn it, you caused the problem. And, you know, we had to go jump through hoops to fix it. And, and you got a pat on the back. But in so many ways, that leads to where we are today, right? This blameless culture that we're looking to learn, like looking at every failure as an opportunity to get better. I think that uh, maybe was, was an early step in that direction. Maybe I didn't appreciate it for what it was in that moment. But there's so much value in being able to fail miserably. And even because we screwed up, but when you can recover from that and you can learn what happens and you can look for opportunities to build automation or gates or controls that would prevent that mistake from ever happening again, that's a win. The fact that we found it when we weren't getting shot at is a tremendously great thing. The fact that, you know, my site went down last week uh, or maybe even we took it down last week at 3 a.m. That's amazing because it didn't happen during the holidays when we weren't expecting it. Uh, we actually pushed the button. We knew exactly what happened. We we're able to fix it quickly, that kind of stuff. So I, I think there's even some lessons in that kind of on the edge moment that I think we're putting into practice, you know, 15, 20 years later in the industry and it's making us better. Well, and it does put it in perspective a little bit, right? You know, we all think that our problems are big, but you just used that phrase. Well, at least it didn't happen when we were getting shot at, which <laughs> is not normally what, what people have to worry about. So, um, yeah, I guess there was a life lesson in there for you. A little bit, yeah. So talking to life lessons, uh, I always like to give people a chance to to give a shout out to somebody that that's helped them in their career, you know, uh, somebody who's influenced them or, or been a mentor. So anybody you'd like to um, recognize? You know, I've actually got two, if that's okay. Uh, and I'll try to be yeah, quick. Go for it. You know, the first one was my, my boss in my first people management role. Uh, it was a role that came to me through a little bit of duress, a little bit of emergency and, and you know, a need in a crisis. And I had told them, I don't know about people management. I don't know if this is the right step for me. I don't know if I'm going to like it. I don't know if I'm going to be good at it, but I'm going to give it a shot. Just promise me that if I suck or, or I don't like it, you know, I can have my old job back. Yeah, yeah, sure. No problem. So I took this job and about six months into it, I went into my boss's office frustrated and I just, I couldn't, there was too much. I just couldn't get it all done. And he sat me down and he gave me some of the best career advice I've ever had. And it like overly simplified, but it means a lot to me. And he said, I'm not paying you to get to the bottom of the pile. I'm paying you to put the right things on the top. That's what management's about. And so that, that idea that the value you see from me is in how I make decisions and how I prioritize and how I respond, that's the value I'm driving, not in my task list, not in getting to that bottom of that pile. That's been some of the best career advice I've ever got. Uh, the man's name is Roy Santorell. And, you know, I hope at some point he gets to listen to this and know how much that's meant to me. But, you know, I think secondly, and, and maybe this will, will sound or feel a little brown nosy, but it's actually my current boss. Uh, I've known the guy for 10, 11 years now. He's been a cheerleader from the sidelines forever. He's been my in my direct reporting line for about the past four or five years now. Uh, but he's really just showed me what it means to just boundless energy. He showed me what it means to care for people. He showed me what it means to uh, set hard expectations and, and challenge people to give them the autonomy they need to be successful, give them the support they need when they're, when they've fallen down or when they've hit a challenge or a roadblock. And he does all of this in a way that's uh, productive. It's not ever in a way that's um, letting me get off the hook, right? There's still strong accountability there. There's still high expectations but it's done in this supportive way where I know that I, that he's got my back. And I think, you know, for any leader, that's, that's really 
the most important thing I could ever ask for from a boss. And I think any technologist should ask for, uh, from a boss, give me the autonomy to do hard things. Give me the challenges uh, that are going to help me get better and stronger and grow, but give me the support. Don't throw me out there to fail. Don't throw me under the bus and all of that. So, you know, Wes Hummel, uh, as my current boss and, you know, longtime mentor uh, is another one that I would tip my hat to. And I'm sure both Roy and Wes will be, be very happy to hear that. Um, <laughs> last question for you. Sure. Cause People are always trying to work out, where, you know, where do I go look to, to learn more about whether it's general networking or site reliability, whatever it may be. Any, any resources, any websites, podcasts that you would recommend? You know, I, I wouldn't even be able to point to one or even a handful. Uh, but what I will say is where I get the most value is from very obscure sources. Um, and I, I think what I mean by that is, the Freakonomics book had an impact on me and it wasn't in the things that they were talking about. It was in the way that they viewed a problem and the way that they went about finding solutions or finding insights from that problem. I think anything you can do to look for ways to think differently, to think broader, to uh, bring a different perspective to your work. I think that's where you, you really get the most value the, the bits and bytes, the particular configurations, you know, the way it, the, the new technologies, that stuff will just continue to evolve and change. If you have the framework, if you have the baseline, like you can continue to stay on top of those things just naturally, at, at least in your role as those things come to you. But I think that unique perspective or that insight that you get from looking at things from a different angle, I think that's really where I see people shine and succeed. And if I could make, you know, just a quick plug, I would say this is one of the big reasons why diversity is so important in the technology career field is because I think for too long, we've had a bit of a myopic view. We've only had a limited number of perspectives brought onto our problems. And that's resulted in a lot of things that we probably take for granted today that in my mind are actually fundamental flaws in the way that the internet works. Um, you know, you could look at DNS, uh, you could look at IP space, there's a lot there that uh, constrain us going forward and we don't even realize it. So I, I think that would be my call to action or that would be my suggestion is let the technology specific pieces just come to you as they need to, as you bump into them, as colleagues mention them, as you learn about them in conferences, but where you're going to really find your success is being able to bring a unique perspective, either from conversations with other people or from, you know, completely obscure sources that really don't have a ton to do with technology. And that's the best way I can, like, non-answer your question. I hope that's okay. Yeah, you should be a politician, non-answering questions. <laughs> <laughs> but I, actually, I agree. Um, and I have to say, Freakonomics is one of my, my favorite books. I, I, God, I don't know how long it is since I first read it, but this idea of unintended consequences is something that, that often rattles around in my head of, okay, we're going to do this, but, but what is going to happen that we never planned for, right? And, and how do you be ready for it? So... Yeah, I agree with you. You have to step outside of of reading just the regular stuff and and bringing some some broader perspectives to it. So um, it's uh, I, I'm not even going to say it's a non-answer. I think I think it's uh, it's a really good answer. <laughs> so uh, so I like that. For what it's worth, that that mindset of unintended consequences um, or a mindset, you know, again from a, I come from a security background as well. So that mindset from security of always thinking like the hacker. That what that's what makes a good site reliability engineer is how is this going to bite us? How can this be better? Like where are the flaws and, and the weaknesses in this whole flow? So yes, I mean it, you know whether you get that from Freakonomics or you get that from colleagues or you get that from you know other experiences, 
I, I don't know that you get that exactly from, you know, industry training or industry technology learnings that, that are pretty typical. Yeah. So on that, in, in terms of diversity, would you hire a, a former hacker? Uh, I think it would depend upon uh, the way in which they were communicating to me. Um, I maybe have this, uh, this flaw for a technologist that I'm, I, I really try to get inside the mind of people. Where are they coming from? What's driving them? What are their motivations? Um, but I think your background really has nothing to do with, with who you are today. We all change. Uh, I mean, if we were held to account for things that we did when we were 17, and Steve, I'm not sure how old you are, but you know, if we had social media when we were in high school, you probably uh, are second guessing a lot of decisions you made. So I, I, I think your background has very little to do with who you are today. And I, and I would be looking more to assess, uh, you know, the talent and, and the capabilities being brought by any particular person. Yeah, that's a great point. Them being an ex-hacker has nothing to do with it in my mind. No, that's that's fair, and and it does, it does fit nicely with with your point about diversity, right? Um, you have to bring a lot of different pathways in to to really get a broad understanding of things. Absolutely. This is uh, I tell you, TJ. This is taking us in a couple of directions I wasn't expecting, which is always fun for me when we're doing these these interviews. Um, I I do really appreciate you taking time to to share your thoughts with us on the podcast. And I uh, look forward to talking again soon. Thanks very much. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Living on the Edge, the network resilience podcast from Open Gear. To add resilience to your network in data centers and out to the edge, visit opengear.com. <laughs>